it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game and for a record second time running is hangover free. I'm Kevin Day and he is Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Two shows in a row, Kieran, without a hangover. And this is a morning recording. We're recording this in the morning. This is, this is the level of professionalism I'm bringing to this job for our, for our lovely the, listeners. The, the, the bat is that much closer, Kevin. Bat that much closer. It, it, it is, Kieran, but there are a couple of moments in some of these questions when I suspect the BAFTA will be drifting away again. Because there's, a couple of, there's, a, there's, there's a couple of moments where I can't see a way around double entendres, to be perfectly honest, but there you are. Um, it's questions day, and we have, as always, some very interesting questions, Kieran. And the first of them comes from Jacob Tidy. Uh, Jacob, hello Jacob, says I'm a Palace fan. Uh, brackets irrelevant to the question before I would throw it in always throw that bit of information in <laughs> Jacob in, in in general I'd like to know what football team you all support yes except for, yeah, that's, uh, right. that's a really good idea actually. One that, yeah one that should not be named uh, Jacob is also a long time lover of the pod so he's a Palace fan and a long time lover of the pod which is doubly important. Alongside my day job, says Jacob, I am studying a master's in sports law and I'm doing some research on intermediaries and I came across the interesting case of Jorge Mendes and Wolves. It's reported that Fosun own a 15% stake in the holding company of Mendes Agency. Um, Gestifute, is it, Kieran? That's right. Yes, it's, very good. Well, yeah, see, I was I very confidently went into Jorge and yes. <laughs> didn't, do, didn't do any research into Gestafute. Um, along with Fosun paying Gestafute as an advisor, I was wondering if you'd be able to work out how much each party would be making on a transfer where, let's say, Mendes acted for Wolves, the player being sold by Wolves, and also the buying club, as I believe may have happened with the Doherty transfer to Tottenham. Now, th- this is uh, an area we've explored before, Kieran, but not really the financial aspect of an agent working for all three parties and how the money is divvied up. Yeah, I, mean, I th- think this this one takes the uh, somewhat Byzantine relationships between agents and clubs even further in the sense that the the club owner owns a stake in the agency, which you get, you get, you get into so many circularities here is to be uh, astounding. But um, I, I took a look at the when when uh, when Wolves signed Fabio Silva, which I don't think has necessarily been one of their greatest signings. For mm-hmm. I think it was for forty million, and apparently uh, Gestifute picked up seven million on that. So yeah, that was well. that was you know, well over fifteen percent at the time, um, and it, it it is indicative of how beneficial. Uh, transfers can be to an agency. Uh, and I think there's the classic case of Paul Pogba uh, going from uh, Juve to, to Manchester United, where he, he picked up over 21 million at the time. And, and that was just from Juventus. So we don't know how much uh, Rayola picked up from uh, the, the player and, and the buying club. So I think this is this particular relationship has has been queried, I think is the politest way I can use to describe it, um, in the sense that how can you be independent when uh, the the club owner is going to benefit from a transfer as well as the agent, um, presumably as well as the player, um, and you, you're trying to work out 
what is an appropriate price. So, yeah, I, I think I think J- Jacob is is absolutely right to highlight this. But yeah, football being the way that it is, it would just get nodded through. Does um, Mendes also represent Nuno? I, oh, I, I don't know. I, I, I suspect so, uh, given that he he does have a very close relationship with uh, a lot of Portuguese uh, players and, and managers. So, uh, yeah, we, we will we will investigate further. Well, no, the only reason I ask is that football fans being football fans, when Nuno was linked with the Palace job, very closely linked with the Palace job, uh, and as soon as it fell through, just about every single Palace fan just went, ah, oh, that'll be the agent then. It's just this assumption. It's still, no matter how much we try and highlight the fact that most agents are decent people doing a, a good job for their for their players, there's still this perception in football that a lot of problems are caused by the agent. And it's. It, I, I found it very interesting that immediately Palace fans just went, oh, that'll be a problem with the agent. Yeah, well, Google is our friend, um, and I can confirm that that uh, that, that relationship is. You are correct. Um, so Nuno is uh, is Mendes's client. I believe also he was his very first client. Um, oh. So they, they go back a long way together. Go back to uh, the mid nineties. See, this is how our bizarre uh, relationship as a double act has developed, Kieran. That we're on this same wavelength. That I I talk just long enough for you to be able to Google something. <laughs> And new listeners are thinking, Kieran goes very quiet every now and again, while Kevin witters on about something that's only vaguely related to the to the subject. And it's it's because Kieran's Googling everybody. Kieran has to be doing something. He can't just be talking to me. He has to be doing several. Kieran's a, a multitasker. Uh, next question comes from Alex Weir. And Alex says, I have a question about team kits. When players turn out in the Premier League and the EFL, their kits look immaculate. Are the players wearing brand new kit for each game, uh, sometimes twice a game, possibly? Um, uh, if so, what's happening to all the used kit? I assume the top teams get their kits free from the manufacturers. If that's so, at what point in the football pyramid does that stop and teams need to pay for kit and how much does that cost them? Now, this is interesting, Kieran, because just on last Thursday night, FYP, the Palace podcast that I do, we did a live show, which was a lovely, lovely evening, uh, and I can't thank everybody who was there enough for the love and affection they gave me in the difficult circumstances at the moment. But the the special guest was Danny Butterfield, a uh, player who scored a hat-trick for us in, in four minutes. Perfect hat-trick as well against Wolves in the FA Cup. But we were talking about the difference between Palace now with our what seems to be a plan, which is unusual, but also, <laughs> but also a wonderful uh, academy, uh, recruitment system, so on and so forth. And he, he talked about uh, his first day signing for Palace when he turned up at the training ground, which was in a portal cabin, and there was a little old man nailing down a yard of carpet outside because there was a trip hazard. And Danny said, <laughs> he, he pointed out that the carpet was now a worse trip hazard than the... But we, the, the subject of, of kids, he mentioned the the playoff final when we beat West Ham and Cardiff. And he said the, the pitch at Sunderland in the semi-final just a few nights before, he reckoned they'd sprayed it green for the TV cameras. And he said the Palace players kit got got really grubby and the, the kit man couldn't get the stains out and he didn't have another kit. So he said it was really embarrassing because they were in the tunnel and West Ham had these brand new sparkling white tracksuits and he was just counting the grass stains on the shirt of the Palace player in front of him, which and every all of us went. Surely we had more than one. He said, "No, in those days we were so skint. We we only had one kit." So I find this is quite an interesting question for me. Yes, yeah, I think it's an absolute cracker. Um, I've, I've been in contact with some clubs. Um, uh, Manchester United, uh, for example, they get asked uh, you know, clearly by a lot of charities, but a lot of people for match worn shorts, shirts, and, and they give them to or they auction them on behalf of good causes. So, if you take a look at the Cristiano Ronaldo shirt, uh, they they recently played Spurs and they they turned them over three nil. That shirt's presently going for thirty six thousand pounds. Wow! Um, and that's that's uh, and also all of the shirts that they wore against Manchester City because they had the the the, the poppy emblem. All of those are being auctioned as well. So so if the, the bigger the club, the more likely they're going to be able to um, have shirts on a. Uh, you know, effectively, uh, fairly close to a match-by-match basis. As we drop down the divisions, um, 
things are, are are not as benevolent from the manufacturers, and and you can understand that. So um, I, I I I contacted our our very good friend Andy Holt at Accrington Stanley, um, and in true Andy style, he says we wash them until they're fucked. <laughs> Which yeah, I, I love Andy so much. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Well, that, yeah, yeah. I, I, but, but that's that's good. Yeah, because I think I think we're speaking to Dale Vince soon, and you know he's Mister Sustainable, and and that's that's really good. You know, yeah. because we should we should be we should you know be recycling food, sort of re- recycling uh, clothes as much as we can. Um, I also spoke to uh, David Artel, who's the the crew manager, who's been on the show as well. Um, And he says um, they get two home and two away kits for the first team, one home and one away kit for the under-23s, and the same for the under-18s. And after we finish them at the end of the season, the players get to keep one home kit and one away. Um, and the second home and away kit go to the kit sponsors. So, you know, they, they, they are getting a fair amount of use mm. uh, over the course of the season. Um, and I think you know, the, the kit man's do a damn good job to to get them coming out looking so pristine um, on, a, on, on a week-by-week basis, you know, because we, yeah, we all remember what it was like when we were at school and we had, you know, three shirts to last you know, a, a school year and, and by the state, state they were in after about two weeks of, of us lot wearing them. Yeah, we've we've talked about you talking about three football shirts, Kieran, or three? No, no, three three school shirts. Oh, three school shirts. Okay, all right, fine. Um, it, it is possible, by the way, to recycle food. Remember that really bad hangover I had show before last. <laughs> <laughs> I recycled quite a lot of food after that. Um, I like um, that Andy Holt does make me laugh a lot. I I, I think yeah, it's like the old days. You you wash the kit, and not only should yeah. you wash it, I think the players should take it in turns to take the kit home so their mum can wash the kit. So, so do it properly. Keep in touch with or their dad because it's 2021 before anyone says iPod. Um, and, and also on the subject of Premier League clubs and shirts, and people at home will know, you know who you are. Some of you have done this. Middle-aged men, stop forcing your children to hold up a cardboard sign saying, it's my birthday, can I have your shirt, Declan Rice? It's, it's getting out of hand. There was a game live on Sky last week, and I counted 13 reluctant children holding up a sign for a shirt that their dad clearly wants. Because it <laughs> seems always to be a player. They all seem to be picking a larger player. Why do these kids always want the big players? Oh, it's because their dad. Um, there's a couple more. Danny Butterfield was, was very interesting about football in the old days and told a story about Neil Warnock's pile cream that I don't think I'll ever... <laughs> I don't think I'll ever ever get out of my head. I, just, I don't think anybody who was at that do slept that night. Uh, Neil Warnock sounds quite the character. Um, yes. Our next question comes from Mark Last, and yeah, I really does slightly annoy. I, I shouldn't have had to say to Guy, put this question last. Why would you, why'd you, why'd you have a question with somebody called Mark Last and not make it the last question? And we know the answer because he just said we would have banged on about it for 10 minutes. But I said, we'll bang on about it wherever it is. Anyway, Mark Last um, says, I love the podcast. Thank you, Mark. It's the only one I've found that combines my loves of football and business administration. That's a strange Venn diagram, isn't it? It's it's amazing to think there aren't hundreds of other podcasts out there combining Mark's loves of football and business administration, isn't it? Mark says, I'm opposed to gambling sponsorship in football. It's certainly a very hot topic at the moment. But notice that in FIFA 2020, and presumably other versions too, that the front of shirt sponsorships of 32 red are replicated in the game. Do the sponsors pay extra for this exposure? And does it break any under-18 advertising rules? Which I think is the the most interesting part Mm. of the interesting question. Uh, P.S. I've tried my hardest with the grammar and structure of this, Kevin. This question, this Kevin has ruined it. I've tried my hardest with the grammar and structure of this question. So Kevin doesn't have to correct it too much. The irony being there, Mark, that I had to correct myself. So, <laughs> yeah, I, yes, I I do like grammar. Mrs. Day is the grammar. She's a she's a Nazi when it comes to grammar. I, spelling's my big thing. I like proper spelling, but um, it's a very well structured question, Mark. Well done. But I'm never going to be cross with anybody. Just bung down the question you want to bung down. Don't worry about how you how you structure it. Um, but an interesting question, because I'm, I'm amazed to learn 
that front shirt sponsorships for betting companies are, are on FIFA 2020, considering, as Mark says, so many people under the age of 16, 14, 12 will be playing it. Yes, I mean, it, it is a way, uh, it's, it's a very good way uh, of uh, stealth marketing for uh, for gambling companies. Although surely we, we could say the same with regards to, to matches which are being broadcast live um, and, and even pre-recorded that uh, yep, you know, yep. fans, fans get to see them, but they don't immerse in them uh, to the same extent. Um, this is a, um, the, the yeah, organisations like FIFA, they want authenticity. Um, so it's actually, it's a free bonus for the, the sponsorship companies and they can use this to their advantage. Um, a couple of years ago, Stevenage were sponsored by Burger King and everybody went at the time, oh yeah, yeah, yeah Burger King, they're pretty big and Stevenage, no disrespect, they're not the biggest club in the world. And this was an absolutely superb spot by uh, Burger King, um, they they know that FIFA is is really popular, and they they said, well, we think that by sponsoring a a small club who has who has a color scheme which is similar to the Burger King colors, oh. we can get a bit of stealth marketing. And they ended up um, with uh, with Burger King being, the, or rather, with Stevenage being the biggest club on FIFA in terms wow. of matches played in something called career mode. Now I, I don't I don't understand what career mode is. Um and it, it went viral um and also Stevenage ended up selling out of their kits because there were so many FIFA fans all over the world who sort of bought into this and, and you know that and people were uploading photographs of them eating their was it a whopper? I might I'm I'm not, I'm not an expert on these things. Um Playing FIFA with the Stevenage shirt on, that that Stevenage actually ran out of shirts. So so you know sometimes these things can be uh, can be utilised, um, and and you know the, the it, it was very successful. And I think uh, this season Stevenage are being sponsored by um, Amazon Prime, which we're going wow. again. You know the size yeah. of those organised, you know, um, because they've realised that there, this is actually a way of, of getting. Um, a a local club into the eyes of millions of people around the world. Um, so it's 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 a it's it's a really smart relationship from from the marketing departments. Um, but as far as the gambling uh, is concerned, uh, it, it doesn't break any rules because um, the you know t- TV. If you think about you know, when, when we watch matches at uh, you know all hours of the day on a Saturday and a Sunday. Um, there, there is no there there is no threshold at nine o'clock uh, that, that no, you normally expect yep. to have with with some yep. you know in, in terms of you know language and nudity and, and other things which are deemed to be um, uh, you know something to be uh, shielded from from younger eyes. So it, it's it's uh, uh, it, it's it's very useful from the uh, from the sponsor's per- perspective and and effectively it's uh, it's a free hit for them as well because the the FIFA players want to see the authentic kits it helps FIFA yeah, yeah sorry it helps electronic arts in terms of the marketing of their game um, and yeah I think the clubs benefit overall because they now know that uh, you say you know, you're, you're going to be not just getting you know, 38 games uh, in the Premier League season, mm. you're going to be getting millions and millions of people looking at your logo, looking at your brand um, from for playing these games as well. It, it does seem slightly odd though, Kieran, when we know that um, if you're selling actual shirts in the club shop to children, you have to have a different sponsor. You can't have a yeah. gambling sponsor on those shirts. And yet, you know, very young children will be playing these games with gambling sponsors on the shirts. And I, I also don't know what career mode is. Um, and Ali would say that counts in life generally. <laughs> uh, secondly, I, t- I try so people at home don't realize how hard I try to rid this show of any chance of double entendre. And then you're straight in with Whopper. I just didn't occur to me that this question would go. I, I didn't think for one minute that this via Stevenage and Burger King, we get to Whopper. Um, and also, for those of you who are interested, and I know that's most of you in the relationship between football television and gambling, there's a really, really interesting piece in the latest Private Eye about the labyrinthine relationship between Sky and Skybet and other gambling sponsors. 
um, which I, is well worth a read for most of you because I know you, you're listening to this because that's the sort of thing you're interested in. Now, our next question comes from Ray Barry, and it's a short question, Kieran, but it's one that I think you'll find like a warm hug. This, is, this will be like a cup of soup, this question for you, Kieran. Um, uh, Ray says, I'd like to look myself at club earnings, but how do you find them on the company's house site? What would you type or how do you search for reports? Right, uh, Ray, uh, and anybody else that is interested in this, what you do is that you go to the gov.uk website um, and then you click on where it says get information about a company and then you've got to start um, putting in the company names. Now, the good news is that for the vast majority of football clubs, um, it's you know, it, it's Manchester United Limited or it's Newcastle United Limited, um, and, and you can start to do a bit of ferreting around um, and work out, um, uh, you know, uh, and just pick up those figures immediately or pick up the, the, the uh, pick up the company name. Some of them are, are a bit more complicated, um, as, as you know. Uh, at Palace, it's it's CPFC Twenty Ten Limited. We've yeah. got West Ham, who are WH Holding. We've got Derby County, who are Sevco five one one two. It's not as if uh, you know, Mel Morris is perhaps trying to hide things. By <laughs> you know, I'd never accuse him of that. Um, but um, if, if you a, a quick way of finding out the club names is that if you go to the uh, the uh, Football Association Premier League Limited uh, and the Football League Limited. Brackets the, um, which is the EFL and the Premier League, uh, respectively, um, they have something which is called a confirmation statement, and a confirmation statement lists all of the shareholders in both the Premier League and the EFL, and therefore it actually gives because um, the Premier League has got twenty-one shareholders, which is every single Premier League football club plus the Football Association, and it's very similar for the for the EFL, you can actually find out the names of the individual shareholders, either the names of the individual clubs, which are held at Companies House, and that's a good shortcut. Um, and I, I did find an error uh, about <gasps> five years ago in the EFL list, and I got very, very excited, um, as you can imagine, uh, because they one of – one of the shareholders, which was a company which had gone into liquidation. Can you imagine how how nerd in what nerd heaven I was in at the time? Oh, the, the Baroness must have had two days of hell. <laughs> yes. How do we rate? Just off the back of that, genuinely interesting question. Because you know what, it never occurred to me, being an innocent soul, uh, well, certainly when it comes to finances, that companies would have you know, strange names in order to try and obfuscate what's actually going on. But how do we rate compared to other countries in terms of transparency? Is this a worldwide thing, a global thing that, you know, in every country you can just type in a few words in Google and find out this information? No, I've got to say that the the UK system is is one of the best in the world. In, okay. in the in the USA, for example, private companies are that they are private, and you get next to no information out right. of them. Um, yeah, you know, I've I've always argued that football is a special industry in in this country, and, and I think that was endorsed by. Um, the the interim report uh, of the fan led review, and, and I think the the final report is due out this week. Yeah. Um, and and therefore clubs should put out more information than the, the minimum legal restrictions for, especially for those clubs in League One and League Two. Um, and, and hopefully that might be one of the things that they recommend. Although uh, equally, I mean, I'm, I'm not not overconfident. Um, but yes, the the UK is is pretty fantastic. Um, and they used to charge you a pound per document at Company's House, and I can't remember which chancellor it was. I think it was uh, Gordon Brown or or Big G, as, uh, as as I refer to him when he phones me up. Of course, um, uh, I think he he actually changed that, so it's all now free, um, and it's 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 a it's a treasure trove of financial information. Now, I'm the first to admit that financial information is is niche and it only attracts a relatively small audience but it does allow you to to do a lot of uh investigative work um and and analytical work if if that's what you want to do and and it's you know 
uh, it, it's completely transformed my ability to to look into the finances of clubs, provided, of course, that they actually uh, bother to uh, comply with uh, company law. And uh, yeah, certain clubs, uh, I'm naming no club apart from Derby County and <laughs> Mel Morris. Uh, and and he, he, here I must separate, you know, Derby County fans are not responsible for Mel Morris's no, financial mismanagement of the club. Of, of course. Um, but uh, you know, it, it, it does allow you to at least have some form of, of summary and, and you do find you know, the, the occasional nuggets in terms of what's happening in the boardroom and so on. You remember last week, Kieran, I told you how uh, unfunny, shall we put it, Ali finds me saying, there's a thousand things I want to say to you whenever the radio news person says, in the city. Yes. <laughs> Imagine how more unfunny she finds it when every time the name Gordon Brown is mentioned, I go, texture like son. <laughs> that, that just stop being funny for Ali long, long ago. She was so pleased when he retired from frontline politics because every time his name was mentioned, Gordon Brown, you can't not do it. Um, I like this. Tim Holden's got a question about something we've probably mentioned 150 times on the pod and they've never actually questioned why we mentioned this particular phrase. Tim Holden says, I really enjoy listening to the pod. But why does Kieran reference clubs being sold for a pound? Why a pound? Why not give it away for nothing, as that's what they're effectively doing? Is there a legal reason why a nominal fee has to be exchanged? And furthermore, have any clubs actually been sold for a pound? Right. Well, th thanks for the question, Tim. If we, if we look at uh, uh, both elements here, um, the, the reason why a nominal fee has to be exchanged is that if you are selling a, uh, if you are selling a football club, then that will be uh, via a contract, and with a contract you have to have something called consideration, and, and consideration is is payment. So you know whether it's one pound or a hundred million pounds, provided, um, and, and you you may have heard of uh, peppercorn rents, for example, yeah, yeah. where. So and and that was you you do have to pay something, but and it's got to be more than zero. So a one pound is is effectively the you know the, the easiest thing for a firm of uh, yeah for a legal firm to put into a contract, um, and therefore I have I have given you consideration. I have given you a fee, and in return you have given me. Chelsea Football Club, mm. as happened with Ken Bates in, in uh, when he acquired the club, uh, famously, and he, he then he then sold it for considerably more than one pound to to mm. Roman Abramovich. Um, and, and we have seen an awful lot of clubs be, be sold for for one pound. Portsmouth, Swansea, Hull, I think Berry uh, to to Steve Dale. Um, I know Brighton was Brighton was sold for fifty six pounds and twenty five pence. Wow. Uh, which is slightly more than that, but but not much more. Um, uh, so you know, it, it's it, it's it's a common feature. But when and people say, well, you know, why? Because clearly, you know, if you think about Chelsea, you know, prime prime real estate in in the centre of London. Um, when you acquire a football club for one pound, you acquire everything in relation to it, and that's both its assets and its debts. So if if the if the debts exceed the assets. Under those circumstances, that you say, right, I'll pay a pound, and, and it's up to me now to sort everything out. Mm. Under normal circumstances, or if this was a different pod, I'd be asking you why Brighton was sold for such uh, an unusual sum. But we've got a lot of questions to go, and you know, Brighton. Um, Chris <laughs> Saunders. <laughs> Chris Saunders says, if you use the cost of Premier League TV deals as a measure of inflation, which Premier League squad had the highest net book value? Um, it, it's actually very difficult, Chris, to, to work this out because what you have to do is you have to know the the value of individual transfer deals, and and we don't know that these days. You know, they are there are many which are undisclosed, and we've discussed that before. Um, and then you've got to be able to tie that into the the individual TV deals, which which is something which I have done on a global basis. So um, if if we take a look at um, Squad costs in total. The um, Manchester City have the highest. Um, in the most recent accounts, they were nine hundred and seventy-eight million pounds. 
They have subsequently, of course, signed Jack Grealish. So therefore, they will be the the first club in English football to have a billion pound squad. Wow. Um, So that's looking at it from from the perspective of what we have today. If we're looking at the, the total spending of all clubs, and I have adjusted these for inflation, um, the the biggest spenders are Chelsea um, because the the fees that were paid by Roman Abramovich when he first acquired the club in what was it, 2003, uh, he, he spent an absolute fortune in, in those early years. And once you do factor in the, the acceleration in, in the value of... Um, uh, of TV deals since then, um, uh, it's it's Chelsea first. I think it is. I think it's Manchester United second, and then Manchester City third. Okay. Um, question from Robert McPherson, who I'm guessing hails from north of the border, uh, well, north of the border from where we're sitting. Robert says, as we all know, winter in England is terrible. I, 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 I'm not so sure about that. I, I disagree. For a state, it can't be terrible enough. I love winter. Winter's lovely, except I don't think we're ever going to get a bloody winter again. If, it's, if it doesn't start getting cold soon, I'm going to get very cross. I, I would, if I believed in people having SAD, I would think I've got reverse SAD. But yeah. Anyway, <laughs> as we all know, winter in England is terrible. We've debated that. Believe it or not, it's even worse in Scotland. I'm prepared to accept that it can get colder in Scotland than it is in a vineyard in Sussex, Kieran. Um, if Scottish football moved to playing a summer season, would we be able to raise more money from TV rights because there's nothing else to watch and if we manage to qualify again for a summer tournament surely we can just have a summer break for the duration I, I mean for most football fans instinctively you go no not football in the summer it doesn't work but gee, I think it's quite a sensible su- suggestion from Robert if you if you had the majority of the season across you know from April through to September you're going to attract a lot more people I would guess to certainly to live games uh, yeah, I, I think there, there there could be uh, a case from from a television perspective, um, and and I know he's he's you know, he has identified the fact that uh, there, there's summer tournaments, but remember we now have um, you know the, the Euros every two years, oh, sorry, yeah. every four years. We've got the World Cup every four years, potentially every two years. There's yeah. not a lot of wiggle room. You've got the um, we've got the Olympics as well, which uh, which, yeah, which attracts yeah. some of the younger players. So. Um, th- there's already um, a lot of demand. I, I think actually, the the issue um, and, and some some uh, th- there are some leagues which I think some of the Scandinavian leagues play, yeah, indeed, play across the play, summer. Yeah. Play across the summer, so it's it's not impossible. Um, I think the challenges would be to a certain extent is that if you were uh, if if you were Rangers or Celtic. Um, you're also, of course, playing in the Europa League, and uh, you know, yes, they're hoping to play in the Champions League. So that means that the players are playing football twelve months a year, yeah, fair um, which gives problems. Another issue is that player contracts, in the main, expire on the thirtieth of June. Now that fits in well with our traditional season. Um, so if if Scottish football moved to a summer sport and let's say that contracts expired on you know the 31st of October or the 31st of December um, that's going to cause again mess it'll be messy for those clubs which are playing in Europe because how do, how do you how do you tie things in um, and I think it's messy for the players because if they are moving from uh, yeah, another European country to Scotland, and yeah, you know, what are you going to do for the six months of a of, of a contract which uh, which could be going fallow? Um, but it, it's it's not it's not impossible, um, and um, you know th- there are there are issues with regards to the the value of Scottish TV rights. You know, the, the SPFL will say, well, you know, we've. We've negotiated and negotiated with Sky, and we believe that we've got as big a deal as possible. Um, at present, we have a number of clubs, such as Aberdeen Hearts and, and so on, who have commissioned a report uh, by Deloitte to see whether the value of Scottish football is is understated. Um, and I think TV rights is an area that they will be looking at. So, um, yeah, perhaps perhaps this this is a question we should perhaps ask of Neil Doncaster. We'll, we'll get him back on the show because he's mm. he's uh, he's always keen to pop in for a chat, um, and perhaps perhaps we'll ask him. 
he is always keen to pop in for a chat, isn't he? Um, Robert, it sounds like the short answer to your question is is no, but I think it's a very good idea, uh, except I don't like football in summer, so I suppose I don't. Um, Dave Brandon. Dave Brandon says, I have what I fear is a daft laddie question about release clauses. Now, Dave, <laughs> I don't know how often you listen to this pod. There is nothing anybody can ask on this pod that is as daft as some of the things I've asked. Trust me, nobody out there need fear the fact that their question is too simple or too odd because it doesn't stop me marching bravely on and asking questions. That If you think my eyebrows go up, you see Kieran's eyebrows when I ask something very simple about amortisation, which I do every time I see him because I forget. <laughs> um, <laughs> And it, the Darth Laddie question is about release clauses. How do other clubs know what the transfer is? Do agents tip off interested clubs? And if a buying club doesn't know the relevant fee and has a bid in excess of the release fee accepted, then what happens? Could they take legal action against the selling club? I mean, this is you know, Palace triggered what was reported to be an eight million pound release fee for uh, Elise. But that's a very good question. How did how did Palace know what that release what that release clause was? Would they have gone to Reading and said, "Is has he got a release clause? How much is it?" Or or does the age does it work the other way around? Reading's just revealed to the world that he's got an eight million pound release clause. I uh, know the 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 release clause officially is a private matter between right. the football club and oh. the football player. Oh, okay. The way that it works in practice is as follows: because remember, uh, remember Arsenal famously bid forty million quid and one pound for Luis Suarez, yes. who had a release clause of forty million pounds. Yes. Um, the, the way that it works is as follows: um, a, a a club identifies a player it wants to sign. Um, it might then uh, it it will actually approach the player via his agent before it approaches the club. Now, it will say that it's going to go through the correct means, but let, let's uh, if anybody's ever read The the Secret Football Agent, which is a cracking book, yeah. he, you know, this, this guy says, this is the, 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 how it's supposed to work and how it does work is as follows. Because the player might not be interested. So, you know, what, what's the point in, in coming in? So, so you know, un, unless it's on transfer yeah in the transfer window when you when you've got 48 hours of the window left that's when they tend to actually contact the the club first but if we're talking you know some of the big transfers all of the groundwork takes place in advance is the player interested what's he looking for um and then they will say well if, okay if that's what he's expecting in wages then then we know how much we can afford to bid for a transfer so it, it shouldn't happen because it's a private contract between employer and employee but the agent will have uh, been a party to that contract so in practice um there will be um there will be communication remember when uh uh, Liverpool signed Virgil Van Dijk from Southampton, mm. and they uh, Southampton uh, Southampton reported Liverpool for uh, a, an inappropriate approach to the player, and, and Liverpool then backed down for six months, and, and, and he subsequently signed for six months. So, so legal action can be taken place, or the 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 uh, the predator club could be reported to the Football Association because you are supposed to um, contact the club rather than the player. But that's not always the case in practice. Mm. There you go, Dave. Turned out to be a really interesting question after all. mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. 
Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Now, Spencer Pritchard is a, oh God, is that minefield again, is a Shrewsbury fan in League One. Uh, Spencer Pritchard is a Shrewsbury fan in League One. Take your pick. Um, <laughs> with all the talk of finances in the EFL being stretched, I wondered if we could get any idea to what extent player wages in the EFL are set to contract in the future. More specifically, what percentage do you expect player wages in the EFL to decrease in the coming months, if at all? Right, Um Spencer, th- this is a classic case of the haves and the have-nots. Uh, I've, I've seen some managers, uh, I think the Portsmouth manager, for example, was, was talking about the ability of some clubs in League One to uh, offer wages which the rest of the division couldn't cope with. So I think, think fingers have been pointed at a few clubs. Um, equally, um, I, I saw uh, comments from Joey Barton who, who who actually claimed that he he ended up paying the wages at Fleetwood um, himself for a while, um, that uh, players were going to have to accept significant reductions and uh, their highest paid player could potentially be on half of, of what they were when, when the contracts were up for renewal. So it, it really is uh, down to um, not, not only the finances of the club, but the wealth of the club owner. Um, and how much money they're prepared to put in, because under the the the, the I think it's called salary cap management protocol, or some 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 proper you know blue sky thinking uh, away day uh, wage cap that they have uh, in in leagues one and two. In league one, you're not allowed to spend more than sixty percent of your revenue on wages uh, and in league two it's 50 percent but if the owner of the club puts in a pound then you can add you can add another pound to the wage bill um so if we have wealthy owners then we are going to have some clubs who will be able to to blitz the rest of the division um you know it's 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 not sustainable it's it's not sort of you know it ties in with what what i think the majority of clubs would want but um it's it's causing a bit of bad feeling, but certainly the the anecdotal uh, comments that I've had from people in, in the in the two lower divisions is that they are expecting um, a decrease to to come through to manifest itself. Um, the the majority of the clubs in the lower two divisions are on sort of wait, a wage to revenue uh, level, which which is far far lower than the championship, and I think that will accelerate. Um, and, and what we're also seeing in the championship itself is, uh, apart from those clubs who have owners, you know, Fulham, for example, they are uh, they, they are alleged to be uh, paying uh, Mitrovic uh, over over five million pounds a year with his new wow. contract, uh, which yeah. which will be a record for a League One club. Yeah. Um, but they they've got uh, you know their 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 owner Shahid Khan is is. You know, amazingly wealthy, and he can afford to do that. Um, I think for the for the lower league clubs, it's uh, it's coming down in the championship. It will it will depend upon the the uh, the ownership model. Right. Uh, our next question, which is our third from last question, so it's the one before penultimate. I don't know if there's a fancy phrase for the one before penultimate. Is it, is it pre penultimate? Is it pre-penultimate? Oh, okay. I always get well, when you use the word pre about anything, Kieran. I get really, <laughs> really, really genuinely anxious. Um, question. <laughs> it comes from Larkin Hogel, who's a friend of the show. Um, Larkin says, your discussion of Liverpool women's team in a recent pod made me wonder, would it be possible for an investor in the women's game to get involved only with Liverpool women? So how is the women's team different from the men's on FSG's investment portfolio? 
Right. It certainly is possible for for investors and other people to get involved because from a legal perspective, they they are separate companies. Therefore, they have their own identity. We are now seeing some sponsors uh, of, of the women's team be different to that of the men's team. So an example would be Everton. Uh, who are sponsored by uh, a company called Megaphon, which is owned by Alicia Usmanov, who okay. is not anything to do with Everton Football Club officially. Um, that has to be stressed. Uh, he is the former business associate of uh, the Everton owner, Farhad Mashiri, and he's also the guy who completely independently paid £35 million for yep. the for the mm-hmm. for the option to, uh, to 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 have the naming rights for the stadium and so on, so he his one of his companies is sponsoring the the women's team. Um, if if you take a look at the the finances of of the women's team uh, teams in general, they they are all losing money, uh, not not huge sums. So as far as FSG are concerned, um, and FSG are only interested in making money yeah. um you know that that's where i think that uh, liverpool's women's team perhaps hasn't been given the the, the tlc um that that it warrants uh, because there is an opportunity for growth we've, we've just seen a a report come out from the fa where the, the aim is for the uh for attendances in, in the wsl to to average six thousand. i think around about 24 25 which is which is which is a a, a challenging target but, but it's not an impossible one um so yes you you can certainly uh have have independent investors and sponsors um and indeed some some people have said would it be better if uh, if clubs in the WSL did make more effort to, to separate themselves from the men's team? I'm, I'm not convinced that would work because you know there's an opportunity for shared resources in terms of mm. uh, medical training facilities and so on. Our penultimate question then comes from Brian Schmidt. Hello, Brian. And Brian Schmidt says, how have Morecambe's finances been affected with their promotion to League One? Their promotion was incredible to watch and they achieved promotion with one of, if not the lowest wage budget in the EFL. How are they able to compete financially with teams in League One? And how much will they earn by being in League One versus League Two for at least one season? Right. Well, he's absolutely right. What Morecambe have achieved uh, is uh, sensational from, from a financial point of view. Um, their total wage bill uh, in 2020 was £2.2 million pounds for, for everybody, you know, the playing staff, the management staff, the backroom staff, and so on. Uh, that's that's £40,000 a week, uh, wow. which is, you know, you, you put that into the perspective we've just been talking about Mitrovic. That, that, will, buy you, that will buy you one of his legs. Um, huh. uh, so, which probably isn't going to help very much. Um, so yeah, it's 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 an amazing achievement. Um, how are they able to cope, compete financially with teams in League One? Well, they 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 um, and you know a couple. Of, yeah, I know you know we, we we've spoken about Andy uh, at Accrington. Uh, Accrington have the have the lowest budget historically uh, in League One for the last few seasons, and they've managed to do that by being honest with players. Uh, you know, saying that we are. We're not a destination club. You know, we, 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 we can offer you. Um, we can offer you uh, part of the development of your career. Um, they've got a very good relationship uh, at Accrington with John Coleman, the manager. Manager, and everybody's pointing in the same direction. And I think that's what Morecambe will be having to do as well. Um, it will be a case of good dressing room. Uh, being innovative uh, on and off the pitch um, and not trying to compete financially. If, if somebody comes in and offers more wages, then, then you just accept that you're going to lose the player. Mm. Now, our last question, Kieran, uh, it comes from Mark Scarf. And technically, this is a legal question, but except it is financial because if Mark Scarf does what he's asking he should do, He's going to lose a lot of money, basically. So Mark Scarf says, as a person who wants to do a podcast about the Premier League, are there any restrictions on using Premier League in the title? I can understand if I use a brand name or any other signifier to lure people in, and I'm assuming the Premier League is also a trademark brand name. But that said, is it also a generic title for the top tier of English football? So would I get away with having a title such as Premier League News or Premier League Daily as a as a podcast 
title, I suspect that he probably wouldn't, Kieran. So call it call it top twenty, Mark. How about that? Because it's it's an interesting one because we use the word Premier League all the time, but if you use the word Premier League in in a way that Mark's planning to do, so I suspect the Premier League wouldn't be too happy. Yes, I I, I say I'm, I'm not a lawyer, but I think this might come under what is referred to as passing off, uh, which is yes. where you. Uh, you, you put yourself out and, and people might take the view that you are representing another institution and therefore the Premier League under those circumstances will want to protect its brand, will also want to protect its reputation. You know, I'm sure Mark would do an absolutely fantastic job with his podcast, but it's not official. Um, and uh, therefore, I, I, you know, I, would, I would do the same as you. If you think about some of the successful uh, podcasts for clubs in the EFL, they're, they're, they're titles like Not the Top 20 and so on. So, yeah, yeah there are. The, so, the so, 72, you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, and therefore, that's a way of getting the message across without infringing the, the, the rights. You know, we, we couldn't call ourselves um, Apple. Apple Incorporated as as a podcast name because they they would uh, they would rightly uh, say well you're not and you're and you're trying to make money on on, on the back of our name and our uh, you know our position um, and our brand and, and so on so um you know, if if you want to take it further uh, Mark uh, speak to somebody. Uh, in the legal profession, uh, if, if you might have a friend, uh, yeah, we, we have lots of friends in the legal profession who, who might be able to contact us and, and confirm what I've just said. Because, to be fair, they're, they're normally pretty, yeah, they're, they're normally pretty much on the case when I get things wrong, and I get things wrong on a regular basis, um, and I then try to subtly correct them at, in future episodes. You sounded a bit like Uncle Terry then when you said if you want to take things further. <laughs> uh, and also, it's like you know, we we did point this out to producer guy way back in the day when we first started that we couldn't call ourselves a Swiss Ramble podcast. That would be very clearly a case of passing off. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's an interesting one because the advertising industry, it's, it, it's when you'll occasionally hear an actor that sounds a bit like Stephen Fry but isn't Stephen Fry. But there's a very fine line that advertising companies sometimes tread when they can't afford Stephen Fry. And they'll find somebody who sounds just enough like him, but not enough like him for Stephen to be uh, taking him to court. Now, thank you to everyone who's made a donation to the pod via our Patreon site. Not that Stephen would do that. He's not that type of person. He's delightful. Um, if you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to the pod, go to patreon.com slash priceoffootball. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. And in the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Well, once again, folks, thanks again for all the feedback. Um, we uh, we do take heed. Um, if, if you want to support the club, the, the podcast in, in, in any alternative ways, um, you know, a, a vote for us at the FSA Awards would, would be hugely appreciated in the category of that, that has no name. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, but but if not, just just go along to the uh, that purple icon on Apple, um, and you can give us five stars and, and write whatever you want. You could you could say you would say that you would rather the show was presented by Princess Anne and Michael Gove. It makes no di- <laughs> makes no difference to us, um, and, I, and I think that'd be quite a surreal experience. I'd certainly listen to that myself. I'd I'd, I'd love to see the look of disapproval on Princess Anne's face as Michael Gove <laughs> goes into his latest trance dance moves that'd be very funny <laughs> bye everybody bye <laughs>